Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is Dallas Campbell and welcome to another edition of Patented, my podcast all about the history of inventions. Today's episode has been suggested by one of our listeners. Hi, Dallas. This is Logan. I'm really loving the podcast. I look forward to the new episodes each week. I was wondering if you could do an episode on contact lenses. As someone who wore them for over a decade, I've often wondered just who came up with the idea for contacts. What do those early designs and trials look like? Cheers. Well, your wish is my command, Logan. Here is the story of how contact lenses came to be. Hello, welcome to Patented, my podcast all about the history of inventions from History Hit. I'm Dallas Campbell. <sighs> the contact lens. I've never actually got to grips with contact lenses. I wear glasses for driving and, and whatnot. And I've tried to wear contact lenses, but I don't know, something about contact lenses. Maybe because I never got used to them when I was young, I find them very difficult to use, so I don't bother. However, fear not, because the humble contact lens, the origins of the contact lens, is actually a really good story. It's a bit of a rip-roaring story, actually, for you today. It involves Nazi villains, of course, yes, arrests by the secret police, chance encounters on trains and fear of Soviet invasion. It's got that proper Cold War feel about it. The hero of the story is a Czech chemist called Otto Wichtler, who not enough people have heard of, and we're going to try and remedy that. Otto worked in the Czech Republic in the decades following World War II, when Czechoslovakia, as it was then, was part of the Eastern Bloc. Now, behind the Iron Curtain, politics entered every walk of life, particularly in science. It was a very political endeavour. And when you were as stubborn and often as outspoken as Otto was, that could cause problems. And yet, on Christmas Eve 1961, he managed to create the world's first soft contact lens in his Prague kitchen using, of course, his son's Meccano set and other bits of rubbish, an old broken gramophone record, etc, etc. It's a great story. To tell the story is today's guest, Rika Palonkorpi, who wrote her thesis about Otto a few years ago. And this is her first podcast appearance. She's not been asked to talk about the story much in all these years, which is really surprising because it is a cracker. And we're going to get into that that too. And why in the West we might not have been so keen to hear about a story of scientific successes coming from behind the Iron Curtain.
Great, Rika. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us today. Where are you, by the way? Your background is giving me no clues as to where you are. I'm at my workplace in Helsinki. Before we get into the story, I'm curious about you and what you do and how you got interested in this. It's been a while now since I wrote my PhD thesis. My topic was dealing with the Cold War context and the scientific and cultural cooperation between East and West. I always did Czechoslovakia and Czech history. And then when I decided to look at the scientists as an example, which I think was very interesting because at that time, science was one of the few things where the communication between East and West was somehow possible and never completely stopped. And then when I look at it a bit more closely, then I couldn't pass the story of Otto Witterle. It just came to me, you know. This is an important figure and it's, the story was really very fascinating from the many perspectives, not just the, the history of science, but in general, the Cold War history. But I've never heard of this guy. Wichterle, is that how you pronounce his name? Otto Wichterle. Otto Wichterle. Wichterle. I don't know how many people wear contact lenses in the world, millions, presumably, but, you know, he kind of revolutionized something which has changed lots of people's life. And I guess outside the Czech Republic, he's just not a known figure. And we'll get to this a little bit later on, but I know you met his wife, Linda, as well. And I'm really interested to get your firsthand thoughts on what that was like. But just can you explain who he was and, and why you became so interested in him? Well, he was a lot of things. He was not just an inventor of the soft contact lens. He was a really a brilliant scientist. His background, I think, is very crucial in the way that his personality developed. His wife actually said that he didn't fear a lot, didn't feel fear, and was very, you know, really knew what he wants and knew how to do that and was very skillful in many ways. So uh, he had a difficult childhood in a way that he was very ill for a long time and isolated from other kids so he could read and study and so on. He was born in 1913. And then uh, in the 30s, he was studying chemical engineering, which was like he was very interested in chemistry, among many other things. But that's what he chose. Then I think for his later career, the wartime is also very important. I mean, the Second World War, because he was even imprisoned for a while and, and so on. Those are his personal experiences. His homeschooling is important. I mean, he was very intellectually curious, but he didn't have a kind of formal education. You said sort of he didn't have any fear. And I wonder if that lack of fear academically come from the fact that he was homeschooled, do you think, and wasn't part of a educational system? It's possible that that somehow influenced because the doctors said that he wouldn't perhaps survive those health problems, but he did. So I guess it's kind of the first proof for him that he survived, at least. Then what I wanted to say about the Second World War was that he then managed to find a job in the Batya, a very well-known Batya company, and there he could work even though the war was there and influenced Czechoslovakia as well, and so on. So that was another kind of a survival thing for him. And as I said, he was also imprisoned because of his political views at that time. So he was quite outspoken politically. So during the 1930s, you said he was working, it was a shoe factory he was working at, wasn't it? Yes, it's, it's a shoe factory. 
where he could develop already uh, those techniques that were later crucial, even for the invention of the soft contact lens. But yes, politically, he was outspoken, but I think it was always related to his field, his interest, I mean, science and so on. So I want to emphasize that he was no, like, he was no dissident, because that's something that we have a temptation now to see people easily like somehow opposing the whole system or being for it. So I think that was not his case, but he was kind of like trying to fight against the problems that the communist system really put on the way of developing science. That's interesting, because I think just sort of reading about him, I kind of assumed I probably would have used the word dissident or, or, you know, certainly outspoken. But you're saying very much his political beliefs were very much focused just around science and the relationship between science and the state. Yeah, it's it's very complicated in that context. It's not our times context. It was the socialist system, which also has different kind of phases in it. So how the people worked within that system varied during those times and so on. But Vitterla was definitely never a member of the Communist Party, which is always like crucial how we define people's position. But nevertheless, he was not like dissident in the way that he would have really spoken for human rights and so on. So it was always science. We just have to remember that he worked within the system. Even if he wanted to influence it, he was always part of it somehow. Even though he was like in trouble many times and so on, he still like worked within the system and not outside of it. So tell us a little bit about his science and what he was doing. You said he was a chemist. He went to university. He was working at a shoe factory in the 1930s. So what was he kind of working on like before we get into the the sort of contact lenses? Like what was his field? So in the wartime, in that Batya company that I mentioned, he could already do his research on polyamides and manufacture of uh, so-called carpolactam, which was space for invasion called uh, silen that replaced uh, nylon, like in stockings and so on. So he was working on those materials at that time already. After the war and so on, he could continue his research on these uh, materials and later on the material that was then base for the contact lens as well. So he was part of that real revolution in material science that happened sort of post-war. So 1948s, you see sort of Czechoslovakia being taken over by the communists. And I just wonder, what do you think their relationship with science at that particular time? And like, how did they see people like Otto? Like, how did it kind of work? Well, the, the relationship was very contradictory. The Soviet Union, which was always somewhere there to control the things, they understood, as you mentioned yourself, they understood that they need science, especially the achievements of natural sciences, to achieve their, you know, victory in the Cold War and so on. So they needed scientists, definitely. And the thing is that even though they could replace, let's say, sociologists or philosophers and so on, or even like totally throw them out, but it's very difficult to re-educate natural scientists just like that and get the resources. So they were not so easy to replace and they needed them for their purpose as the other side of the Cold War needed their scientists as well. So 
That's the thing. But then at the same time, they had huge problems with people like Otto Wichterle, who didn't want to be a member of the Communist Party, who had this bourgeoisie background. That was definitely a problem for them. The secret police started to follow him immediately after the establishment of communist rule. And they were very interested in his bourgeoisie background, making notes of his hobbies like tennis and so on. So... It was a problem for them. It's really interesting that, isn't it? It seems as they care a lot about who you are rather than kind of what you do, particularly. As you say, he comes from a sort of bourgeoisie, kind of capitalist background. I guess his father was a industrialist, I think. Yes. That sort of mattered, I suppose, <laughs> in the Soviet bloc countries of the time. Well, we've got a little bit of context there, a little bit of background and, and that friction between science and the state. The story of the contact lens, though, does have that kind of Cold War flavour because it begins on a train, like all good Cold War stories. It begins on a kind of two people meeting together and talking on a by chance on a train. So tell us about this fortuitous meeting. Yeah, that's uh, the story that Wichterle himself has been telling. So the story goes so that in, I think, 1952, he was really on a train, a metamologist there who was reading about metal implants for the eye. So it was not exactly soft or uh, rigid contact lens yet. It was how you could somehow improve the vision or deal with the eye in, in the medical respect and so on. Yeah, and then Wichterle obviously told him that he would have an idea how to solve this thing with his material that was on its way. This, this happened in 1952. The whole 1950s have been described as golden years of macromolecular chemistry in Czechoslovakia. So they were very much doing the development of the product at that time, the hydrogels. But the optical industry was not very developed in Czechoslovakia, which had been very focused in the early Cold War time on the army industry and so on. So that was the thing. There was a word you mentioned there, hydrogels, I guess is how we'd say it. This is the kind of breakthrough material. We think of hydrogels, a kind of soft plasticky that can absorb water and or let oxygen through from the air. And these hydrogels, these were things that Otto had been working on. Yes. Not specifically for contact lenses at that point. No. And it's very important to emphasize that he was not alone in that. So there were other very skillful scientists working on that hydrogels. They then managed to publish their first results in Nature, I think in 1960. So the 50s before that can be described as really like, you know, time when they could develop this technology. What is important in this context is that Otto Wichterle was actually thrown out from the university. And what is very typically ironic in that socialist context, he could find his new workplace in the Czechoslovak Academy of Sciences in the early 50s. And the thing was that it was not possible to do applied sciences there. So even though it was like really good for him and they really supported natural scientists in many ways, but doing applied sciences, so really to think how to develop this uh, production of, let's say, soft contact lens was not easy. Let's just pause for a moment. And what was the state of contact lens technology at the time. You know, when you sort of Google contact lenses, of course, it's obviously Leonardo da Vinci. It always goes all the way back and sort of, I think, René Descartes and others. 
We've been thinking about contact lenses, the idea of putting lenses in your eyes for a long, long time. But did any contact lens exist at that point, up to the 1950s? I'm not really a specialist on the contact lenses and such and the technology, I have to admit. Me neither. So that's okay. (laughs) You and I are allowed to speculate. They were only hard contact lenses made out of hard plastic. So I don't know what kind of plastic that exactly is, but that was the thing. And many people who were specialists on that field couldn't really believe in this. So it was really revolutionary in the way that even the the biggest experts couldn't really believe their eyes. When they saw that he really put it in his eye and you could see that it works, but they still couldn't believe it at the beginning. We'll be back after this short break. Did you know that the earliest condoms were made of animal guts and they were designed to be reused? Or that beans were once considered to be an aphrodisiac? Join me, Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society, a new podcast from History Hit, where I, Kate Lister, ask the questions about the stuff we didn't learn in history lessons or sex ed. We'll be bed-hopping around different time periods, from ancient civilizations to the Middle Ages, to Renaissance and early modern, right up to now. Listen and subscribe to Betwixt the Sheet now, wherever you get your podcasts. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Okay, so we've got proto-contact lenses up to this point. Victor and the ophthalmologist meet on a train and they have this meeting of minds, this the eureka moments. So just take us through what happened after that in terms of him coming up with, oh, I know, I've got this hydrogel kind of material. This might be much more comfortable to wear and we might be able to design lenses. How, what was the sort of story of that? What makes this story interesting is that it was a in the end a vanity product that was invented in socialist 
country, but it required, you know, capitalism and the capitalist system to make its way out. So here in that context, I think that the uh, gradual opening up from the uh, Czechoslovak science to the West was crucial because they could increase their contacts to the West. They could uh, visit seminars, conferences and so on and communicate with Western scientists and so on. And then, of course, in the end, in 1963, after the patent application of the lens was there, the Americans also found it. So there was kind of a policy change also that the state started to support the applied science in this field and made it possible to develop the technology and the production and so on. Just before we get there, take us a little bit back. I'm curious from an engineering point of view, how he actually made the first contact lens. As I told, it was not possible to do it in his institute yet because applied sciences was not allowed. Then they found some other ways to try things and so on. But in the end, he really made this first production on his kitchen table during the Christmas time in early 1960s. Uh, he produced this kind of a machine for production of the soft lens. And it consisted of this Merkur-Merkur uh, set for children, for a construction set. Which is like a, a Meccano set. I think in the UK we'd call it Meccano. If you're old like me, you remember Meccano. <laughs> so he got something from his kids. And actually, I think he also used a bicycle dynamo from his uh, sons as well. And then I think it was so, I'm not really, you know, I'm not an engineer, so I don't know, but the dynamo was not strong enough, I guess. And then he replaced it with a gramophone motor. That's how he produced the first uh, lenses. Mm, I'm not good in explaining the uh, details of that, but the funny thing was that they could somehow improve it all the time technically. And then when he had to go back to work after the Christmas break, his wife continued with this production. You know, they're churning out all these kind of prototype lenses, experimenting you know, with a Meccano set and an old gramophone motor and a hot plate or whatever it was. I mean, but were they trying them out on people? Were they said, oh, we try these ones. Did, are these going to work? I mean, how did that happen? They had a possibility to try them on patients, but not really like standard people from the street or so on. But they had some connections to the uh, specialist on the medical side who then tried them and so on. But I have to say a curious thing here is that Otto Wichtele himself never wore soft contact lenses. He didn't even try them on himself. He did. Actually, he did it every time he showed them to people. So he would even like throw them on the floor and step on them and then put it in his mouth or something. You know, show that it's a good quality. But then I think he was astigmatism. That's what he had. And that time it was not yet possible to fix those problems with the soft contact lens. So from a cottage industry on his kitchen table through to someone buying the first soft contact lens. Can you take us through that period? Because you hinted at American involvement. So how do we get from that to the fiendish capitalists of America steaming in and uh, taking all the credit? First of all, there was really like a rapid development in Czechoslovakia so that Otto Wichterle managed to convince the local decision makers so that his institute, for example, was 
really given a lot of finances. And it was really internationally high-level institute at that time. So it was not kind of lacking behind from the Western standards. So they could do their job there. But then something came up. There was this American firm, a small company that visited the Soviet Union first in order to find some innovations there that they could then buy and so on. And by chance, one of the persons from that company heard of the lens of Viterle. And during their tour to the Soviet Union, he made a detour in Prague and finally managed to find Viterle there as well. It was not that easy because of that socialist system was very bureaucratic and the state agency first didn't even know about Viterle and the innovation. But they managed to find him and then there were lots of negotiations going on and eventually the license for that innovation was really sold to the United States in 1965. But he had the credit, didn't he? He had the patent for this. Yes. But he didn't make any money from it because the patent was then sold to Bausch & Lomb, I think, who the American company. The thing is that Czechoslovakia made a lot of money compared to any other innovation. So that was very important financially. But the communist system did not allow for an individual. That it's how it's based. It's not that one individual can have an unlimited amount of hard currency there. So he was well off uh, compared to most, I would say. Perhaps not to the party leaders. If he would have been an American, it would have made him like really rich. <laughs> Gazillions. Yeah. It's one of these stories we love in the history of science. It's got that idea of a self-taught intellectual brilliant mind fighting against the state coming up with a kind of Heath Robinson idea made out of children's toys and bits and bobs and then at the end you have this wonderful product that changes everyone's lives it does have a, a great story you met his wife Linda and I'm just wondering what she was like and what you learned about Otto Wichtler from his wife she was very charming I would say very well educated person herself she has a PhD and she's a scientist herself in dentistry. But at the same time, it's always very difficult for someone who is that close to try to explain how, you know, in this case, her husband thought about things. So I think she was quite careful in, in trying to interpret his ideas of things. So he really emphasized his character of being really stubborn and really passionate about his hobbies. He called these things hobbies. I think he didn't really separate what is work and what is a hobby. But what is important in this context we are talking about is that at that time, I think uh, Wichterle had an advantage because the wife took care of the home and the children and so on, and even produced those lenses. So he could focus on his work, although he didn't, as most scientists at that time, he didn't take his work to home. So he also had a lot of time for his family and tennis. <laughs> I'm a big tennis fan as well. I, I, I can understand. It do, does seem to be a lot about his personality. I'm sure at some point in history, contact lenses would have appeared. But the fact that he's the name that we have to thank for them is thanks to his tenacity and the political situation and everything else. Why do people not know this story? Because it is a lovely story and he's a really interesting character. 
perhaps many reasons for this, but I think the most important nowadays is that when we have sort of created or written the Cold War history after 1989, we knew who were, were the victories of that war. And then it has been really difficult for us to understand that the level of education and science was not that low in many parts of the former Soviet bloc and that there were different parts in it and different times and different persons and so on. So I think it's kind of the Cold War stereotypes are part of the reason why he's not that famous. Another thing might be that the as the Americans bought the technology, they didn't want to emphasize that it's a socialist innovation and so on. So they perhaps wanted to have the credit out of it for themselves. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And another thing was that in that context, that although Wichterle could really travel and make his contacts through the uh, 1960s, but then after the Czechoslovak uh, innovation in 1968, he was uh, removed from his position as the leader of his institute. There was a travel ban for him. He was actually kind of a persona non grata who was not visible in any way outside. So it was difficult. So that time might have also influenced this. So as I said, there were many factors that could be the reason for it. And another thing is that nobody really wrote his story as a complete thing. Even in my thesis, he's one of the cases and uh, I have uh, other themes there. It's this uh, larger Cold War story, but nobody really like wrote his history. I noticed that Google did a Google Doodle celebrating his hundred and something's birthday sort of fairly recently. And we can thank you for that, really. You, I mean, you're the person who's kind of brought his name a little bit more into the public and being able to share this great story. Well, uh, yeah, if somebody has found it, I'm happy because I think it's an interesting case, as I said, from really many perspectives, not just the one single individual, but the whole thing is fascinating. I agree. It's it's a story of science. It's a story of politics and science. It's great. Rika, listen, thank you. I'm going to let you go. But thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Okay, that's your lot for today. Thanks very much for listening. Otto Wechteler. It's a really interesting story about someone I think we should have heard a lot more of. If you've enjoyed today's show, don't forget, leave a rating, leave a review, all that kind of stuff. It helps us. It helps others discover the show. And, of course, as you can see, we love hearing what you think of the show and any ideas for stories you might have. Get in touch. Next up, something that has taken the world by storm over the last five years or so. Virtual assistants. And I'm going to be talking to the real-life non-virtual Siri. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch, download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code PATENTED at the checkout. You get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.